Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Um, welcome to Earful of Dirt Podcast. I'm Aaron Casher. You can find me at the Shrobro. I am joined by Craig Gradelli uh, at Monday Morning Fly Half. So uh, how's the how how's how's the fam? How's Jackie? How are the kids? Aaron's doing well. I'm uh, back in the office this week, so it's uh, it's taking some getting used to for uh, you know me being out all day. I didn't see my daughter even for a moment today. I left before she woke up, and I got home after she went to bed. I saw wow. my son for about two minutes when he woke up this morning. So. Yeah, that'll, that'll be some adjusting, but uh, Jackie's holding down the fort. Finally, finally yeah. gone back to school, gone back to the office. Or when does Jackie go back to school? I think Jackie is uh, is going to be a full time mother uh, going forward. So she's she's going to be. Wait, wait, you, you've removed a a school principal from being a school principal. I'm kind of um, maybe not the fact that you can afford that personally because you're just this high flying. Uh, banker, you know. Um, hey, maybe, maybe I need to come work for you, uh, so I can make some coin. But because uh, I, I just remember before you like meeting. Uh, no, she was. It wasn't. You were already married. She was. She was pregnant with Theodore, and uh, she was, you know, pre-pandemic killing it as a, uh, you know. Um, yeah, she was a principal of a school. Principal. Uh, yeah, very very successful career. I, I, it was certainly not me who uh, talked her into staying home. That was very much. I mean, I support her decisions, but that was very much her call. Uh, so, you know, she, I think she's happy. She, I think she likes having time with the kids when they're this young. Uh, so, you know, she's doing she's doing a great job. Makes it very easy for me to be in the office all day. How, how about you, Aaron? What's going on with uh, with the home life with Brooke? Uh, you know, things are, things are being, going pretty good. Uh, I spent the last weekend, I guess, as, as a widow or I, I don't know. She, she did not, uh, have to deal with, uh, me watching five rugby games this weekend as she went to go see her sister-in-law and nephew and her mother and her grandmother in Colorado. And then subsequently she will also skip out. Uh, this weekend, I'll be watching the conference finals. Although she's she really enjoys watching rugby, it's not something as as I mentioned previously. It's not something. It's not a chore. Um, it's like she wanted. She asked me about the rugby network survey that went out. She's like, you know, I feel like if I say that I'm from Arizona and I'm female, because um, it asks certain demographics, they and I say I watch every rugby game, then it would like tie myself to a certain. Um, person that uh, is involved with the league, and I was just like, "It's a survey." Like, <laughs> like what the heck? She's the only woman in Arizona who watches rugby. That those like, data only, points. Only one. Yep. <laughs> only one. Which I just find that hilarious. Um, I guess some housekeeping. I couldn't find the shirt that I had uh, the Seawolf shirt since I owed Rucky this. I mean, it, it's hot down here in Arizona, so I am going to take. The scarf off, but uh, um, this lovely military appreciation scarf and military appreciation hat from 2019, pretty like, I mean, per- it's perfect because if you want to go, um, you know, if you're going to a USA game and it's the winner, um, red, white, and blue, good to go. Just just falls in line with, you know, all my other USA gear. So don't even have to worry about it. I'll take that off, but. Um, yeah, it's it's been pretty good. Uh, she's she's off this weekend to Texas, and then uh, I think I'll be at the final. I think well, I don't know. I, actually, yes, I just don't know where it will be because I don't. There are four possible uh, cities and states it could be in right now. Because there's only three possible cities and states it could be in. Unfortunately, uh, three. What are you talking about? Um, well, if it's if it's best. You know, regular season record. Oh, yeah. Points, so, no yeah. New York can get so, it. Yeah, New York being, uh, you know, the lowest in, on the poll, they would not get it if either L.A. or – so, yeah, three. Either L.A. or Utah have to it, win, and New York would not finish ahead of either of those two. Yeah, so there you go. But, and then, but if it's Atlanta and uh, 
Utah gets interesting because they're tied on table points. So I don't, I don't think conference champion actually clinches you home field. So I think it's it might it's either tiebreakers as the, yeah. There's some more tiebreakers involved. Like so, I think there's like a point differential. Equi- I don't know. I I really yeah, don't know. point differential. No, I, I know it matters because uh, uh, this past weekend uh, Utah was looking to put like. 60 on on LA and it didn't happen. So I mean it uh, matters now. Both Utah and Atlanta are, are big home field advantages. One's got the altitude, the other's got the heat. Uh so that, that, that would definitely be a big a big shift if it ends up being Utah versus Atlanta. But yeah. So I mean it's you've got the heat and the I mean, I don't know how it might be hot right now in Utah, but they'll play in the evening unlike here in Arizona where it cools, where it doesn't cool off in the evening, um, it will like, you know, uh, it will cool off up there because the altitude and, and how far North they are, but it does get hot in Salt Lake, but it doesn't, it doesn't stick around like it does down here. Whereas, yeah, if you, even if you play at night in Atlanta, which I think it would be in the evening, um, in Atlanta, if they played in Atlanta, um, you're still getting the humidity. Yeah, that's, you get that that sticky, wet heat in the East Coast. Georgia, like the the Georgia humidity in in like early August. No thanks. Lived there once. Yeah. Uh, we have friends there, Preston and Warren of the American Rugby Pod. I I mean, people don't ask me ask me how I do it out here, and I I guess you know the same way people do it in the South is like we just live here and get over it but um i wouldn't mind having you know summer state weather in in the summer and then winter state weather and by i mean winter state i don't mean like snow drifts i mean like 40 degrees and perfect that's that's arizona in the winter that's why people live here so um yeah uh interesting weekend uh overall uh we end up with Obviously, um, well, it was either going to be three losses by playoff teams or three wins by playoff teams heading into the playoffs, and we ended up with uh, the losses. So Eastern Conference finalists go into go into it. Um, both knocked down a peg, I think, and we'll, we'll get into that. And then obviously the West is, is kind of murky because of what Utah had to do, but we'll look at that. But first game of the weekend – uh, you know, I, the few, I think we've only had two Thursday night games this season and I kind of like one Wednesday, one Thursday, something like that. Wednesday. Yeah. All I know is I just, I don't know what day it is. I just know like on my calendar, if there's a game, I have to do stuff bef- two days before it, it's, it's like cosmic algebra or something. And cosmic algebra, I think I just cre- recreated a math a mass, uh, you know, let's, let's do it. But uh, I, ju- I just, I don't even, it's just a rolling schedule. I just need to make sure what one day, what days are game days. And we, we go from there. Um, obviously certain days have certain things just like, whereas uh, unlike in, um, in the stock world where the exchange closes on Friday, uh, age like rugby doesn't stop just because it's, you know, a Saturday. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we got weeknight footy, uh, the Seawolves, you know, they, they end their season sort of on high note, two game winning streak, uh, that last week they started announcing, uh, signings, uh, for the season. You had a multi-year deal done. Uh, I think there's been three, uh, to close this out so far. And from what I understand, they're going to keep announcing, um, all the extensions that, that are done now, like if they're done, get them out there, get the fans excited about next year. Cause it's been a tough season. Uh, Riker Hatting has signed a two year deal. Lawina foodie, who is, um, it's been a revelation of a player. Uh, he, I guess he had been with Seattle rugby club for a couple of years. And I, I don't know if his situation didn't allow him to play or Millar or just, they didn't look at him enough, but I mean, for such a young guy that has just played club rugby, uh, he's pro ready, uh, which was, you know, really good. Whether you put him on the wing or uh, as a center, I think 
Uh, just his ability to, to cut through lines, he's probably more of a wing, but they have used him as sort of a, a game breaker at, at center. As I think as long as you have uh, like a distributor at center, which I don't really think they had much this year, especially after Shalom Suniula, uh, you know, broke his ankle. And then like Joyce moved from Joyce played Kieran Joyce played everywhere in the back line when he wasn't hurt, whether it was 10, 12, 11, 15. Um, so really not settled. But in this game, um, it ended up being exciting when you got to the second half. In the first half, it was kind of, you know, it's kind of the same old, same old from from the Sabercats. And then uh, they started to play decent defense and Seattle started to just be the side in some sense that they had been all season. And that's probably, and that's like the most penal. I think they're the most penalized team in the league. Like, and a couple of years ago, the two most penalized teams in the league were San Diego and the Sea Wolves. And they met in the final. Um, I don't think any of the teams that are in, I don't know. I'd have to look, but I got it right here. Let's say penalties. Seattle is definitely not the most penalized team in the league. They're looking like they're somewhere in the middle of the pack. Uh, so who's who's the most penalized? Seattle's 167. I think it looks like Free Jacks at 200 are number one. San Diego has 198. Austin 196. New York 192. Actually, Seattle's fairly low. They're uh, really? wow. I just watch their games and I look at their penalty count relative. When I when I'm looking at stats, I look at their penalty count relative to their opposition, and I I usually think the penalty differential leans one way. But to know that they're middle of the pack, probably if they clean some things up, maybe a few of their close losses are clearly a different um uh are a different way. However, if you're getting run over, um in open play, you tend to give up less penalties as well. Like, whereas if you're, if you're really, if you're a really good defensive team, um, you expose yourself to a lot of defensive penalties, which makes sense when you think about the teams that are most penalized this year in um, new England and uh, New York being up there. So yeah. Um, Kind of surprising lowest, fewest penalties conceded of the year according to MLR website is Utah Warriors. Not surprised, actually. I'm. They've been fairly disciplined throughout the season. It's 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 actually probably the the most surprising was how undisciplined Fraser Hurst was in the game. Yeah, also just like don't really go for poachers, I guess. Yeah, like, we'll, we'll get for that. yeah. I don't. I don't think they're really a good jackal team. Um, when I, when you look at like how many breakdown steals they have, they're not. They're not. I don't think they're a top half team when it comes to that. Um, but going back to Seattle in the second half, they kind of reverted to the mean when it came to their performance. They ended up giving a lot of penalties, and that helped for make the this an exciting game. And there was some spirit in in the SaberCats. But at that point, uh, they just started trading scores, um, and the territory game had been won by the Sea Wolves pretty early. Uh, they just kicked, and they're the reaction, I think, just with the, the backs pairing and sort of what they had. It, it, like Taylor Howden's not really a ball control fly half. Uh, if you're going to – and they were still running, even though Taylor Howden, whoever they had ran at 10, that wasn't Sam Windsor. They're still running a lot of their attack through Sam Windsor, which isn't necessarily a problem. But to – if uh, he wasn't in, in Taylor Howden's – you know, more of a distributor than he is an attacker. And if they were going to have um, to have to run their attack mostly through uh, Boyer and Windsor, they needed to probably put Povey at 10, who is a front foot attacking uh, 10 more so. Um, and they just, I don't know, they, they started losing at the set piece, which was kind of weird, uh, even though, uh, you know, in the scrum, I, I thought they had the ability to to achieve some dominance, but they didn't. And then in the lineout, they were just a mess, uh, completely. Even with Lucas Albornoz back, uh, it was it was just ugly. But you know, obviously in the second half, it looked fun because there was a lot of running rugby. I was like, I wouldn't say it was a good game, but if if you wanted to show someone rugby, and they didn't know the records of either of those teams, I thought it was a very fun game. Um, yeah, to watch. I think so too. 
I mean, look, this was not an. This is a big week. We had a lot of playoff games. I don't want to spend a ton of time on on Seattle, Houston. I just, I think Seattle finished the season with a lot of pride, considering how they started. I think, as you mentioned, Futi, and I think Alatimu also uh, really good finds in Seattle. Houston ended the season how they've ended every other season, which is surprisingly lifeless. Uh, but you know, they're they're a veteran franchise here, and I, I think these things all go in cycles and certainly their day will come. They still have a great stadium, a great city supporting them. So I'll have the coach with the biggest, best resume ever in the history of yeah. the so Is he going to be the coach or like the director of rugby? I'm not, I don't know exactly what his role is going to be, no, but he's going to be the coach. It's like, it's a European usage of the director of rugby title. And it, it's sort of why I really hate the title director of rugby because it, because also in England, when they mean head coach, they don't mean a head coach. They mean really, they mean like the assistant head coach or the associate head coach. They mean second in the command structure. They don't mean head coach. You know, obviously English, a language that separates two peoples. So yeah, yeah he's director of rugby and head coach. So like the same title that uh, Paul Healy had, the same title that Alan Clark now has up in, um, Seattle, uh, whereas I think the only directors of rugby in the history of the league that didn't have coaching responsibility were Mark Bullock up at Glendale. And then just recently, I guess, uh, no, when Patetua Lavuka was appointed director of rugby, literally the next week he became interim head coach. So that was kind of strange. And then when they um, made a permanent deal with Alan Clark, he became the general manager. So that's a week. So I'm not really going to give him that, I guess. Like, uh, But so Brandon Sparks was the director of rugby uh, for the last, I think, 18 months so at Utah where he didn't have uh, first team coaching responsibilities. He had coaching responsibilities at the academy level and uh, then became then got promoted this season uh, to general manager. So um, – yeah, I don't think I don't so think Houston, you know, stick in there, stick, stick you know, with your team. I, I know it's been a tough first few seasons, but there, there are actually still, uh, despite all the losses, a lot of good things going in Sabercat land. So, uh, you know, your, your guys' time will come. Yeah. So, uh, moving on, uh, Nola 35 32. This was a fun game. Um, it could have gone one way, though. Yeah, fun game. I mean, it was a kind of a crazy game. So this, I did, I did attend this one in person, my first game of the year uh, in person. Uh, St. John's, I will have to say, uh, um, Belson Stadium, uh, definitely a much better viewing experience than MCU Park. I, I can't lie. I mean, the stadium itself may not be quite as official or ha- have as many trappings and concessions, but I mean, you are right up at the action. Whereas at MCU, you know, you were even if you were in the front row, you were like 30, 40 feet from the touchline. Uh, so you know, great viewing experience. And this was an intense game. Uh, the hits were super aggressive from the beginning. There was a lot of chippiness, uh, a lot of scuffling. Uh, yeah, there were several cards awarded. I think everyone knew going in that uh, in order for Nola to advance the playoffs, they needed to accomplish a pretty big lift. They needed to beat – New York by 20 and denied New York a bonus point. Uh, so, it, yeah, that, that was a pretty tough task, especially on the road. Um, they started off well. They scored a try in the first couple minutes. Uh, so, yeah, things, things were going. And they had actually, I have to say, they had a pretty good traveling crowd. You know, maybe a, a 20% of the crowd there, I, I would estimate, was a vociferous NOLA support group. Uh, so, I have to admire that fan commitment. Uh but you know, New York fought back. They they wouldn't let Nola get get too far out ahead, and pretty soon they, they took a lead, which they held for most of the game. Um, it, it was back and forth though. Both sides were scoring a lot of bad blood. Eventually, Ben Foden scored New York's fourth try on the night, uh, which gave New York the bonus point, which meant that they would for sure uh, advance to the playoffs. Uh, so the, yeah, the crowd, as you might expect, uh, appreciated that moment. After that, you know, New York um, did wisely rest many of its remaining players who were in. Um, Nola, though, to their credit, did not let up. They even knowing they couldn't make the playoffs, they still fought for that win and they scored a couple times in the last few minutes. 
including I believe it was Tika Suva who scored off the bench, who scored the final try at the death, or you know, with like 20 seconds left uh, for Nola to get the win. So Nola did win. They swept New York, and they had a better record than New York. Uh, but they will not be going to the playoffs because this is a points based. Are, are you? Are they like? I think are they undefeated against New York? Is that like how you guys are undefeated now. against Atlanta? No, nah, no. Nah, last year, uh, actually, I think New York was undef was uh, had, had not lost to Nola until this year. I think they were two and zero. They were definitely at least one and zero. I think they were two and zero though in, in twenty nineteen against Nola. So um, yeah, Nola actually had never beaten New York till this year. I'm gonna make sure because I, I I feel I don't know. It just, just feels like okay. I, I always appreciate a good fact check. Uh, yeah. uh let's see. go to uh, well, why you look at Owen two in 2019 against New York. Uh did not play in season three, so two and two against yeah. New York. So exactly as I said, good. <laughs> Except you were totally thinking that they played in 2020. <laughs> no, I said uh, go check the tape. I said 2019. Uh, <laughs> in any case, uh, look, I, I actually I, I really admire what Nola did this year. They had six road games to end the season. They could have easily buckled and not even ha had a shot in this last game. Uh, they really did a good job, and they beat LA with, with a. a, a roster missing all their internationals and really goes back to that loss against Seattle, you know, really just uh, sunk their chances here. Uh, but I, I think, you know, I, again, I, I thought they had a great crowd show up. They showed a lot of courage to win. And New, but New York is going to the playoffs. So uh, exciting times as a New York fan. And, uh, you know, I think that New York uh, is getting all their pieces back too healthy, which they haven't really had for a long part of the year. So, uh, as we look at the playoffs, I think that they are also in a good position as much as any team, you know, coming off a loss going into the playoffs could be, uh, I think they're in a good position for the semifinals. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting one. I, I really think uh, the coaching job that Nate Osborne did this year uh, was intense because they basically had a whole team of player, like a whole 15 gone um, due to injury. Uh, when, it, when you look at, uh, all their injuries and the fact that they were able to go 10, five and one speaks to, um, you know, just coaching culture and how the players really felt about each other. The fact that they couldn't get it in Seattle is, it, is kind of sucks. But when you think about the team that they ran out against Seattle, I think they just uh, too many injuries, and too many guys gone at that late point in the season to really achieve that versus a team that um, had had a lot of good performances all towards the end of their season, but hadn't really gotten the win. So just, you know, it, it was what it was, but good season for Nola. New York goes to the playoffs, see what they do. Um, when we get to that, uh, uh, Austin 25, 29 DC, uh, kind of, a I guess, uh, a crowning moment for the DC team who had been in a lot of games and made some mistakes along the way and had some injuries as well. And, you know, neither, to, I wouldn't say there was nothing to play for. There was the cuisine solutions cup. That was something to play for. Um, and uh, they took it seriously to the point where there was literally a fight at the end of this game. Uh, you know, and it took a few whistles from the referee to to calm everyone down. Uh, but, like, I really enjoy in this league compared to what we're seeing in a lot of mainstream U.S. leagues is how much the players don't like each other. Um, like, you get – no, it, it creates storylines, whereas, like, like, in the NBA today, almost everyone is friends – no one really dislikes each other. You, you're losing sort of uh, the grudge match in these rivalries that have existed for a long period of time because of, I mean, friendship's not bad per se, like, but just how much they don't like each other when they're actually playing the game. They yeah. probably like each other off the field. I don't, I don't see that much of a problem, but you see how much like when they're, when they're putting on their shirts, and going out there 
how much who the other team is. Like, it doesn't matter if they're friends or not. They're still going to like try and smash them really hard. And I think that's just a testament sort of to the game that we play, but also it, it really will be just a key piece of like telling the story of this league is how much players care about their team. Um, but really a lot of mistakes from Austin in this one, their set piece didn't really work. Uh, they stayed in it uh, really on the, on the back of one player. That was Dom Aquino who, uh, I mean, if you really wanted to give a losing player ever uh, in the history of the league uh, player of the week, it was Dom Aquino. He had 206 meters made uh, just tore through old glory defensive lines. Dude has, dude has some world-class speed. Like he is, if you get him the ball in space, he can close like a, like a sevens player. Um, but maybe not on defense. Maybe he can't track someone down, but if you give him the ball in space, he will burst through that line and most likely score, which is really impressive for a player that has played like three years of rugby in total. Um, and just Jason Robertson um, as uh, an attacking operator and ball control player and just a front foot attacking player as well is really class. If, if he was five foot nine, not five foot six, not five foot, like I would say at five foot nine, he'd be an all black. Like he is like, his skills are that good. Like he is, he just tears things up, which is v- fairly impressive when you, when you look at the kind of player he is like, just it's like five foot six, maybe. Um, and just, just plays his heart out. And when it came to this game, he, you know, Kicked, I think it was 11 times for almost 400 meters, which really made it tough for Austin to come out of their half and uh, just it did enough for uh, for his team to just keep the pressure on and eke out the win and, you know, be 2-0 in the Queen Cuisine Solutions Cup. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, look, again, I think good farewell, I guess, for Robertson since I believe we expect he's going to France next year. Rocking Narbonne in pro to do. Tough, uh, tough season for Old Glory as a whole. I, I, I expected better uh, for them, but they did deal with a lot of injuries and, and they had a key suspension to Fanana Schultz in the middle of the season. But yeah, you see, I mean, I, yeah, we actually just talked about Seattle beating Nola. That's kind of a spoiler, but also Nola tying Old Glory in Week One, all, you know, instead of winning as another, you know, kind of disappointing result in the scheme of things for Nola. But it shows that Old Glory had the potential to win big games against good teams like they did this week. Um, Austin, you know, I guess I'm not really that surprised considering the, the mental letdown they're likely experiencing after being eliminated from the playoffs last week. Uh, so you know, uh, yeah, Donakia looks like a stud. Uh, uh, absolutely amazing game from him. Otherwise, I yeah, I don't think there was much. This was a fairly in line with expectations sort of game, and uh, you know, good good season for both of these squads. And uh, you know, wish them well in the off season. And look forward to seeing them next year. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the fourth game, uh, LA twenty nine thirty four, Utah. Yeah. Uh, so this was really very close to disaster for Utah in my mind. I mean, Utah win one. Uh, so if you're in terms of looking at Utah going to the playoffs against LA and saying, well, now they know they could beat LA. Uh, so they do have that. So in the end, their gamble in, in a sense paid off. And I know we took with this for a hot second last week on the pod, but I almost wondered if they were going to rest their starters from after international duty and just take the L, uh, in this game. Um, because if they did not, if they played their starters, which they ended up doing, and LA did, and LA rested their players, which they were all but certain to do, and LA still won in Utah, I just feel like that would have been an absolutely soul crushing outcome for Utah. I don't know how a team could go through that and have any chance to then go on the road against the first team and win. So I, I think that they really rolled the dice that they were going to be able to win this game at home by playing all their starters. And then they pulled it out. It's, they, they've been a, a um, last second, you know, cardiac kid sort of team all year. This is, I don't know, the fifth or sixth time they've won in the final minutes of a game. 
In this case, it was Mikey Teo uh, coming in. And actually, I think he was playing scrum half after Fraser Hurst got red carded. Uh, um, yeah, 10 minutes at scrum half. That was impressive. Yeah. So he, you know, he kind of did a half dummy in the back of a rock and then, and then dove in for the game winning try. Um, so, I mean, look, they, I think there's some things to feel good about her Utah. I think they dominated the set piece. Uh, you know, their set piece is really coming into shape. Malolo as a hooker, uh, you know, I, it's been a long time since I think there's been a, a hooker as offensively valuable as Dylan Fawcett. I think Malolo is, is getting there if he's not there already. I mean, he's got eight games this season. Yeah. And how I mean, many tries, how many tries? 10? Ten? He's, so he's at like, it's like 1.2. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy's really coming into his own as an attacker. In, in general, I think their scrum with Olive Khalifi as the starting loose head has been really good. Uh, so they have that. I, I think they're going to out – we'll get to the preview later, but I think they have that going in their favor. Um, but still, I think having just barely won the way they did against LA's second-ish string team in Utah – um, you know, I don't think that they're going to actually feel very confident coming out of this, e- even though they did get the win. Uh, I mean, I, I really don't know how they feel. Obviously, get the win over LA, that's important. Uh, what LA turned out, I thought was a team that was going to get demolished. It did not. It came out and showed up to play. And if you look at some of these players, like I saw Adam Channel, like, was kind of a revelation when you looked at him, but he's not um, hes not a young guy, which is kind of crazy uh, when you think about it. He's uh, – I think he's – oh, no, he's 24. For some reason, I thought he was like 31. Maybe that is the other guy that they had on the team, Benjamin Weichschittle. Um I have to look this up. Now, I'm, I can't believe I totally misspoke saying how old this guy was. Uh, but well, he's got the he's got the speed of young man. Ben Ben Weishittle's the thirty-one-year-old. So Adam Channel, twenty-four, just I mean, kind of in the wilderness a little bit, playing club rugby. But you get uh, you get an MLR team in your town, and and boom, um, you get an opportunity to mentor you, and you don't have to, uh. You don't have to. You don't have to go anywhere because you can just come through their academy, and good for you. Like, uh, really, that was he was the key piece of of their attack. And one one of the things that's most interesting just about um, uh, yeah, I just think it's hard to, to assess if it's like. I mean, Channel looked like he played a great game, and he obviously has great speed. I mean, he's played, he's played off the bench a few times where he's shown some stuff, but he hasn't been given enough time to show what he's showed in this game. And I think it was – Or is it a matter that Utah's defense is just on the low side and, you know – I mean, Utah's defense is not on the low side. You just think it is because they're playing against a system that's very tough. Now, let me get to it. One of the things that makes L.A. so good, even when they put out basically a second team, I don't know what, it, what they – if you look at how they score, they're just very efficient with their line breaks. They find space very uh, in interesting places. Uh, obviously, it showed a little exposition here against uh, Utah, but um, when you can, if you don't stop them from getting space and you let them go wide, it's not that they can't uh, be stopped as much as. They're just, I think they have probably, they're in the lower half of four line breaks. But if you go to line break, like how many tries per line breaks they get, they're probably, they're number one uh, in in that category, which is pretty impressive. Um, and I thought Channel just played very, very well. And he probably played himself onto the semifinals roster. Uh, pro- I don't know if he's going to start. I mean, he's still got, DTH if he's healthy, and then John Ryberg, who uh, was on the bench but went unused but and has had a good season, even though he sort of had to be deferential to DTH. But in this game, I think the biggest thing that Utah needed was the confidence to say, hey, we beat L.A., and we know what we're going to do against L.A., and that's use our set piece and be physical because uh, I don't think – I think they have the edge in the scrum. I think they have the edge in the line out. 
Um, it really depends on who the lineout jumpers are for LA because they do have a bunch of injuries, and that's sort of where they're going to run into is um, their their depth. I think the back line that they will turn out, like I think the, based on the guys they will rest, they rested is going to be sort of impressive. You're going to have Goddard, Guito, AAC, uh, Bryce as a fullback, um, DTH, DTH on the wing, and then. Uh, maybe either Ryan James or John Ryberg, and then yeah, exactly. Those are those guys are both nasty too. I mean, LA's back line is insane. It's gonna be it's gonna be a tough one. Where, but they do have, I think, a significant edge when it comes to their front row, except um, and what they can do based on how just LA has been playing, even when they've had their best front row on the pitch. So, uh, and they've they don't have Cottrell. The rest of the season, because of that red card, uh, they Adam Ash is out with a broken arm. He's got a he's got a cast, so that that's not coming off. So uh, you got a bunch of young guys like Potvin, Sean O'Brien uh, at eight. I think uh, Lungi Lungi uh, picked up um, a niggle in this game. He went off, and so you, I think you're left with Pago Haney as your eighth, uh, which isn't a bad option, but it's going to be. I think the edge is going to be physicality up front with the the packs and that they, that LA does have the edge in the back line, but if you can just beat them up physically, like uh, a New York and Nola or an Atlanta did, and then play really good defense. Obviously this was more of a score fest this last game. And, you know, we'll get to, we'll get to the actual preview, but you know, Sort of previewed it right now. Yeah. Hard, uh, hard to separate the review from the yeah. Uh, so um, Atlanta nineteen, New England twenty two. Uh, I I don't think Atlanta put out their best team. I don't think Col- I don't I don't think Coleman starts this week. Um, it's I think really it's confusing. Who is this fly have? Like, I love Scott Lawrence and what he does, but why is he changing the fly half so frequently? And, and well, so it's not, not just the fly half. He changes fly half and scrum half like every week. And I'm yeah. just like, bro, you're not going to get continuity like this. Obviously, they won a ton of the games. They're the top seed in the league. And it, I, I, fe- I did find it interesting uh, throughout most of the season when he platooned Reason House. Uh, I, I think there was a game when he platooned Van Schalkwick in house that Van Schalkwick literally lost his job on the 23. Um, and this was a game where uh, Van Schalkwijk or Van Schalkwijk uh, was uh, playing to get on the 23 in the, uh, in the game against uh, New York this week. And he didn't, he played him. I thought he played himself off the roster uh, to be honest. Um and we'll see Howes, which I think Howes and Rees is sort of the combo you would go with anyways based on season's performance. But the fly half change, I don't know why you'd give Kurt Coleman his first start of the season um, when he hasn't played more than 50 minutes. Um, I, Yeah. And it's sort of hurt, but he wasn't even a reserve. Uh, yeah, the whole thing is very good. And, and Carlsa is obviously not hurt because he started fly. Uh, fly. I thought he played. I thought Carlsa. I mean, my eyes told me that Carlsa had more of an impact than the stats did. I was very. I thought the stats were very interesting when I saw um, the lack of involvement from Carlsa because definitely watching the game, I thought he had more of a an attacking presence. But I think if you're going based on those two, Coleman's on the bench. Carlsa's starting. I for as Cura, he's probably going to play twelve. And you just I think that the best combo is 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 uh Carlos at, at fly half and a screw at 12. That seems to be when their attack worked the best, but then yeah. they did that for like two weeks and you never saw it again. Yeah. So um, I don't know what they're doing together. So in this game, really uh Atlanta played itself back into the game, but it was a, a much it was very much a flipped script. Uh you basically superimposed the Atlanta heavy defense game onto them. And sometimes I think they get sucked into having to attack um, because they want to attack in general. Like they're, they're told they, if you listen to their guys, they're totally cool with playing with less ball, but they really do like to attack and they'll play defense because they're fit and they can be physical. But um, 
for the last game of sort of like this roster, I think New England's going to bring back a, a really good roster, but they have to find a new coach because Ryan Martin's leaving. But it was very interesting in the fact that there wasn't a letdown. And in this sort of situation, you would think maybe last game you have with this coach, a few of your players like Ryan Conradi are going to play in the premiership. Maybe there's going to be a l- little bit of a letdown, but there wasn't. But New the- Stadium. New stadium, you know, good some good stuff there. But you look at, I think, Bodie Maka, who I didn't really like playing 10 early on in the season when he had to, has played himself into form. But that goes back to, I remember he was, he was on MLR kickoff three weeks ago, and he talked about how when he started playing rugby, he was, I guess they say first five in New Zealand, but he started playing at fly half and he's a natural fly half. And that's been his position his whole life, but because he's so skillful, he's had to play so many other positions that he's been just sort of a Swiss army knife. And maybe that has stopped him from getting selected for, for other teams. Um, and obviously he's former sevens player. Uh, so he's got like some burnout speed, which is why you see him playing you know, a lot of fullback, but I think he's played himself into the the starting fly half position sort of at the end of the season when Harrison Boyle got injured and Boyle wasn't even on this roster, which I wonder if he was injured again. I, I don't know, but they kicked a lot and they forced uh, Atlanta to commit penalties and play out of their half and they scored enough to win the game. Um, I think in some sense, I think this game prepares Atlanta more than the NOLA game prepared uh, New York because there wasn't nearly as much kicking as there's going to be in the next game for New York. But I, there were they. Scott definitely Scott Lawrence definitely gambled here. He went for a squad rotation. Uh, Michael Matarazzo played forty minutes. I thought he played okay. Uh, for his first game and first start of the season. And then you also saw the debut of Lincoln Sai, who is a prop out of GCU, who he got three minutes, um, who's been just working um, over there, just trying to make it and trying to get on that team. And he, you know, got rewarded at the end of the season. But, uh, you know, good on good on New England for, you know, finishing this one uh, with the W um, to end the season. Like, you know. Uh, their last season did not go well in the in the short season that there was, and this season they made some changes, brought in some more pieces, and it they they were near the playoffs, you know. Yeah, they had a ten win season as well. I mean that you know three of the playoff teams had ten wins, so or yeah, three of the playoff teams had ten wins. So yeah, uh, and uh, of course uh, the New England fans were like. Beat New York, beat New York, beat New York. Uh, We're used to that stuff around here. (laughs) Uh, So going into the conference finals, uh, Craig, you wrote a column this week, and you did lay down a pretty solid uh, prediction for this game. But New York and Atlanta, do you think it's a dead rubber? Or uh, do you think Atlanta, you know, what do you think Atlanta has? I mean, I think it's a super close matchup. Very hard to predict. I think, you know, uh, we'll talk about a lot of things here, but one unique feature of this one is going to be just how late in the year it is. It is going to be in that Atlanta heat. I don't think New York has played well in the hot, muggy weather in the limited times they've been forced to this year, including in the beginning of this game against NOLA. Uh, But I I think overall – you have a situation where neither of these really want to be attacking. Uh, you know, I think, I think you're a little more comfortable than Atlanta is in attack, but neither of them are really attack powerhouses. Um, so I think this is going to be a very strategic, very well coached, very thoughtful game. And it's going to come down to, you know, who executes, you know, better in, in the small margins in this time. It's, it's just so close, but I, I think, if, you know, you mentioned my column, I think, New York probably has a slight edge in attack. I think they run really good support lines uh, for each other. Uh, and they, and they have some players with some good scoring instincts, like Hanko Hammerscheiss. Um, just have a good nose for it. Atlanta, I think, is the, I say this every week, but I think they're the best defense in MLR. Uh, so it's going to be really tough not to crack for New York. Um, I think the set pieces are fairly evenly matched. You know, I, I would say... Atlanta probably have a slight edge in the scrum, and I think New York may have a slight edge in the lineout 
when they have Savetta and Brakely uh, in the lineup. Um, so, I mean, I think it's a very close match. The, the truth is New York have beat them twice this year and also undefeated, pre- undefeated straight up two, two seasons in a row. Yeah. And, and twice in Atlanta and they won against Toronto and Atlanta. Uh, so yeah, they, they've had good success down there. I think, you know, I try to think how Atlanta are going to score outscore New York. And you, you mentioned kicking, uh, but I mean, New York just have, a, you know, they have Foden back there. They have a pretty veteran, you know, Holland's head is very good tactically and he put, you know, he, he'll play in the back and take, you know, aerial game kicks. I think they have a very good like defense to that type of strategy. If you get what I mean, like they return kicks, they clear, they counterattack, they do all that stuff pretty well. Um, so I don't know. I, th- I think they have an edge, and I I'm I pick New York, and I'll, I'm going to stick with that pick by two. But uh, I do worry about the Heat, and I think and I think just in general, it's hard to beat a well coached team three times on the bounce in one season. So I, I would not be shocked at all if Atlanta do win. Uh, you know, could it's going to be exciting? One. It could really go either way. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's an interesting one. The the lineout. Uh, if you don't get like Redlinghus and Momsen as your lock pairing, it's it would be weird. Uh, I think that's where you have to start uh, with Atlanta. I think uh, they have so much depth at front row. Uh, when you look at it, I I didn't understand why uh, Alex Mullen started at Hooker this season or not this season, but this game against. Uh, New England because he had played prop all season. Like I literally think that was the weak link uh, in in the game plan was starting Colin Mon or oh it's Colin Alex Mon and I see his legal name all the time so I'm sorry but I, I think if they had gone with uh, Garricky off the not off the bench and had him start who has started a hooker and played fairly well for them I thought they improved a lot when Garricky. Uh, was on the field when it came to their lineouts. Uh, uh, if if they go with their best, uh, their best front row, you're going to have like Chance Wengleski, Marco Yenzi, Van Rensburg, and probably Vikas Gronwald. And then you're going to have, uh, you know, I would think maybe needs Garricky at as a reserve hooker. Then. Um, who is the probably Jonas Petrakopoulos, uh loose head off the bench, and then Manasson is not is not a loose head. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could if you don't have Mon playing hooker all week, then Mon's I would say Mon's your uh, your reserve loose head, and then you've got Manasa Salo, who is uh, the best twenty minute prop in the league, like literally wins every scrum, um, impossible to move. So if you go with something like that, it, you're going to get the the definite edge in every scrum uh, against the New York. the The biggest weakness is has been the front row for New York, other than like Fawcett, but his strength isn't really in the scrum. Like he is, I would I wouldn't say he's a zero or a negative, but like the prop situation has been the biggest problem for New York this year. Um, and then when you get to the lineout, obviously he's a great lineout thrower. So not a big deal. Uh, but I mean, I do like this, these last few weeks, they've, they've changed their starting front row to have uh, Talafo who was starting. He's, tight he's head. He was a tight yeah. head. Well, now he's got the loose head and Tawake starting a tight head. I think they've scrummed a lot better. I don't think they. I think they lose a little of the ball carrying that Rockford yeah. brings. Uh, but I think from the scrum specifically, they're they're doing a little better, uh, but probably still not up up to where Atlanta is. I yeah. So and then you worry about the in the backs. It it's interesting. I do think that uh, you have some very attacking minded backs on New York, uh, but you don't have nearly as skillful a backs as. Uh, Atlanta has at their disposal. I think if you have, you know, like Carolsa at 10, about Escura at 12, and uh, Van Voot at uh, 15, I, or maybe if you want an attacking player first and you put Rangatira uh, or Waitokia Rangatira uh, at fullback, maybe you go there. But I, I don't think Coleman's on the, fif- the starting 15. 
I, I don't think that performance against New England really gave it to him. But if you they're going to put out like four or five guys in that back line that can kick and return and can attack. And that's, I think that's going to be the edge is just the volume of kicking. Um, but if it gets, if they commit a lot of penalties and you get down to, you know, getting inside the 20 meter, uh, then, and you go to touch, it's going to be difficult for, you know, generally for either team. Um, if you, if that's, if you get reliant on the set piece, but, uh, if they don't have Savetta, uh, and I mean, I know he got rested a little bit, but it's just if you don't have one of Brakely and Savetta, Savetta as a pairing on the pitch at that at one point, you're I think you're going to struggle uh, in the lineup. But it's also just looking at Atlanta's uh, lock pairing. I think if they're going to struggle if they don't have Redling Heiss and Momsen, um to start, so. Uh, probably similar to the score that Atlanta had against new England. So I don't know. 19 and go with something like 21, 25 Atlanta. Atlanta winning by, by yeah. score. By four. Yeah. Minus four. Yeah. Uh, moving forward to uh, Utah out of LA. This gets very interesting. Uh, I, we broke down, Sort of, uh, it was kind of a preview to the preview to the preview. Uh, and you know, you're not going to get the same team from LA, they're going to put out their best team. I don't think that's going to create complacency, but I do think that's going to create hunger from, from Utah because they're going to know, uh, that there's going to be this team coming out. However, if you look at how even though I think Charlie Abel's a bad man, if you look at how he's scrummed this year, uh, he's not, I, I thought he early on in the season, I thought he was going to be one of the top tight heads in the league. I, not to say he's been a liability, but he hasn't been the greatest. Uh, JP Smith, when he has been fit, I thought has been one of the better loose heads, but he hasn't been fit a lot. And he has come off the pitch early, early at times. And the one thing that, and I think Vailanu is probably one of the top hookers in the league, especially in the open field when he gets the ball. Uh, and he's pretty decent, you know, throwing the ball up. But when it, we'll get to the set piece here. Uh, but for, you know, Utah, they're similar to uh, the way Nola was early on in the season and the way uh, Atlanta is. They have a whole se- second front row that – they could start if they want to. I, I I don't think it's an a, it's a one A or one B situation. It's just about the combos that they put out because they could go out there with what they went out there this time, which is Khalifi, Malolo, and uh, Mullen to start or McClellan to start. And McClellan has started a lot of games, but then they've sort of platooned McClellan and Mullen a lot. Both of them just playing forty minutes. And so I think that that says a lot. People were questioning Mullen's fitness. I don't think it's about fitness. I think it's about uh, you can get a lot more quality time out of your backup when it's Paul Mullen or it's Angus McClellan. You know, uh, you're always safe too because if one of them gets injured, you actually can bring the other back because it's a front row player. So you- yeah, big time. And uh, I think Ratu uh, Vugakoto is probably going to start um, get the bench spot over Chad Guff, who we haven't seen play uh, recently this season, but he has played very, fairly well when he did get his chance to play. Um, and But Malolo starts. I think Malolo's uh, line-out throwing is pretty deadly. And uh, when whereas Ratu hasn't been nearly as accurate as Malolo, and then you have guys like Forte. Interestingly, before, Bailey Wilson is their number one lineout option. I would have thought Fortane would have been, and I sort of thought Jensen would have, but he's been injured in some games or he left some games early where he really didn't go up. But if you think about the lineout options they have, they've got Fortane, they've got Wilson, they've got Jensen and Van Duren. So I, I don't think they're hurting for guys to go up in the air. It's just going to be about uh, who can – 
who's throwing the dart. Uh, Fortain, I think, is the, their biggest counter guy, and their second counter guy is Jensen. So I I don't know if they have the edge in the set, Pete, in, in the lineout as much as it's even. Uh, and it's going to depend on the locks that uh, L.A. turn out because you've got Den Hutt, who has had some amazing games in the lineout where he just goes up and steals every ball. And then he's had some bad games in the lineout where he can't even get his own ball. And then you've got um, who else? Uh, have I mean, they've sent Poitavin up in the air a few times. Cottrell's gone up in the air a lot. Um, not Ash. Uh, who am I thinking of? Dave Dennis. Is Dave, Dave, Dave Dennis and Van Hoder are both, I think, great. Dave Dennis is fit. I think that, that I think they're both good lineout operators, but I think it's yeah. uh, but I think, I think, I think in ter- yeah, you're talking about like the specific connection of the thrower to the jumper, which I agree. I, I think LA might actually even be a little better. Uh, but I think once, assuming they complete the throw, once that ball comes down and, and it converts to a mall, I think Utah uh, have a much stronger mall attack. You know, yeah. and it looked like you, LA, at least this team they put out this week, had little ability to stop it. And I don't think that the people they're bringing in are going to do much better. Uh, so I think, you know, you know true, the, the jump and throw may be more even, but though I think the whole package, including the mall, I think Utah, that's one. Yeah, so the big thing is going to be how physical the defensive game is on uh, on L.A. Uh, I know they have the best-ranked defense in the league, and it's been sort of quiet because of the offensive output, but it's – when they get into games where it gets really, really physical in sort of, I would say, narrow situations and the the Coliseum pitch is actually narrow, so it tightens things up a bit. If they can't get the ball wide, it's going to get very physical and it will be interesting to see how those older players in their back line sort of react um, and, and just to get over the game line. Obviously, if they get space and they can kick, I think they sort of have the edge. But the difference being is that the the back line of Utah can counter. Maybe they won't kick a lot. Maybe they'll run a lot, but they can they can exit some way or other. And one of the things that people don't really give Mikey Teo credit for is that he can be that fullback that kicks for two to three hundred if he needs to. Um, he normally doesn't need to because he's been such dynamic as a ball runner, and he can he just has really good vision to find space. But the edge is definitely in the back line uh, for uh, for LA. They've got Goddard, who's just so fast at the rock, and when he gets into open play, he's got this ability to just do these inside switches um, off the bat, which I think has been a key point of their attack, and sort of as defenses have sort of noticed that, it's slowed down a lot. But just the way he moves his hips to change direction is, is pretty impressive. I think Basca uh, – he'll change direction. Like he has the willingness to change the direction of the attack. That's not a problem for him, but uh, then who's your at, at fly half. Yeah. I'm giving Geats the, the edge over Schulte, but I think Schulte is adequate. However, just as from a composite list of experience, if you go, you know, Goddard, uh, Gito, AAC, Billy Meeks, DTH, say Ryan James or Ryberg, and Glenn Bryce, and then you go with who you can pull off the bench in like Luke Burton and Luke Cardi, there's a definite huge edge for, uh, for, for LA. But I think overall it's kind of even uh, when you go with who has the best 23 or who has the best 15. LA probably has the better 15, and then Utah has the best 23, and it's a question of who gets worn down. If it becomes a – I think that Utah can win a track meet, but it's going to be tough. But if they do what Atlanta or New York did, then they have a chance. But um, probably LA by one is what I'm going with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, to me, the issue is they, they don't do what LA or uh, Atlanta and New York do. I mean, they, they're a physical team, but it's really more like a ball carrying physical team. They're not really a def- they, Utah this season has not been a defensive physical team. We, we mentioned this a little earlier. They have 47 turnover tackles. That's third fewest in the league. They have 
56 turnovers won, that's second fewest in the league. And they're just not they, – they're physical, but usually in attack. I don't find their defense or their ruck behavior especially physical. So I, I, I don't actually think they have a very good chance of winning this way. They can certainly do it. They have a dynamic attack. They have great players. They're getting better. You know, set piece can be a demoralizing thing when when one side is heavily winning. So if they can, this bad weather or something, they, they generate a lot of scrums that you know maybe they can wear down LA that way. LA is maybe older. I mean, I, I don't even know that for a fact. Just anecdotally guessing off the top of my head, I would guess they're on average a little bit older. So maybe they're going to be more worn down at the long season. But I think odds are though that LA has a pretty strong advantage coming into this. Um, just because you know their 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 attack is maybe not quite as good as Utah now as, as they've been exposed and some of their weaknesses, uh, but their defense to me is just so much better. Uh, and now playing at home, I, I think they're going to find periods of the game where they can stop Utah, and I'm not sure that Utah is going to find the same. So um, I and this is all again. If you read my column, you're you're hearing this now for the second time, but I'm going to say uh, LA by ten. Yeah. I, I, I just, you know, I, one of the things Dan Bauer said this week is that it's it, it, it's something that they talk about. They just, in Down Under, you know, if you follow any Australian people, like when they talk about uh, the end of the season, if they're in the championship, it's like, they're like, it's finals footy. That's what they say. It is different. And the ch- like a conference championship and finals is different. And at the end of the day, we don't really – not to say that we don't know what's going to happen. It's just like – Sure. You know, but I think L.A. probably win this close. And, you know, um, they probably – I would say they limp into the final, to be honest. I, I think that – I think they're the underdog to whoever they play in the – yeah, whoever goes into the finals, I think the East is the favorite right now. So, um, and if they, they play in Atlanta, I, I would I would take Atlanta. It just with how physical they are, I mean they they don't care. They will they will run up their tackle count because they are so fit, um, and they'll just break you that way. And I think they've I think we've sorted out. I mean, you know, if you use line speed, you use aggressiveness at the ruck. You know, LA's offensive juggernaut becomes very mundane. They've only, again, I'm quoting myself, but they only, yeah, they scored 40 points plus points in the first six matches of the year and then only one time since. So they they really had an offensive onslaught to start the year and they balloon their their attacking stats. The second half of the year, they're really not anything special on attack. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's just, it depends on how this game goes, but I, I am picking LA, just not by not by ten. Uh, I think, you know, apparently Super Brew is still going, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Super how Brew is, yeah. You're the the hey everyone. Um, our Super Brew commissioner paid out. Uh, although I did not get the money, therefore I could not win the money. Um, but our Super well, Brew commissioner. What would you have if you had entered for money? I, I mean. Nor would I have won this one if I had that <laughs> At least, hey, uh, not wooden spoon, man. That's, that's all that matters. And I can't, although I somehow fell to sixth, even though like no one got, everyone got all the games wrong, basically. Uh, this last week, there it is impossible for me to get the wooden spoon in the league. Um, so that's nice. That's, as, long as, as long as it's respectable. <laughs> Still, t- I mean, this game has just been this season has just been so wild to try and predict that. Um, I think I picked, yeah, I picked New York uh, last week, and even though like my heart told me like Nola, and then I picked Atlanta, even though I was like, hmm, maybe I should pick New England, and you know, I think it, it was just you know, it is what it is. I don't even know if it will get better next year, just because we have salary cap limits and we have uh foreign player caps that we just will have a competitive league. And that's very important. But um, speaking of competitive equity mechanisms, uh, the MLR draft comes back on August 19th. Apparent, um, not apparently locked in. It's going to be on Fox sports one or Fox sports two, at least the first hour. And then the rugby network uh, for the rest of the overflow. So that'll be really cool. Um, 
you know, second second annual Major League Rugby draft, and uh, it's going to be on TV. So it's, you know, pretty cool. But, yeah, I think that wraps it up. Uh, anything else you want to say to your, you know, Monday morning tight head fans? Yeah, I know. I always feel like somewhat of a fraud calling myself Monday morning fly half since I'm a front row at heart for sure. Uh, maybe maybe one day I'll change it to uh, some, some front row related reference. Uh, no, I think yeah, I'm excited for it. it's been Monday so long. <laughs> yeah, I was called like uh, Scrum Reset. <laughs> so, okay. Um. I'm excited for playoffs. I mean, it's been a long time since we had MLR playoffs. Uh, it's been a long time since we had a, a, a new Shield winner. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the drama. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, see you guys uh, next week. We will uh, keep it tight because there were only two games to talk about. And I definitely don't have 30 minutes in me to talk about uh, what could or could not happen in the final. Probably, but I think we did, you know, a solid 15 minutes each on the previews. So we'll probably give you at least a good 15 minutes <laughs> of that. But uh, yeah, it's been great uh, playoffs and it's just been, it's been a good season. Good to see that we're back 96 and 0, as the commissioner said, uh, about games not being rescheduled for COVID. Uh, and it's, it's been a good season. So uh, see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Please note, Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. His opinions are his own.